This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl. My guest this week is John O'Leary. John has shared his expertise on overcoming adversity and how to live inspired with more than 50,000 people at more than 120 live events each year around the world. He considers his greatest success to be his marriage to Beth, their four children, and his relationship with friends and family. John, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. And I'm glad today that I press one. So Nick, what a pleasure it is to be with you in the audience. Yeah, you bet. And you, everybody out wants to know what happens when you press two. And, and I'm from now on, it's just going to say, I'm, I'm pushing you to John O'Leary. Because right. he has speak to John. It's it's behind the scenes. It's where the sausage is made. You don't want to go there. So keep exactly. pressing. <laughs> keep pressing one. So the one question I have for every single guest at the very beginning is what's one thing people might not know about you? Well, there's a lot of things people may not know about me. And even people who know me well would not know this, that I'm actually introverted, that I travel the world. Like you mentioned, I've been in front of a couple million people live audiences and book signings and all the stuff you do in my line of work. I'm a speaker and an author and a podcast host, and I'm a huge introvert. I don't like the spotlight, even podcast, Nick. I would have pressed two if I could. I don't like the attention. I don't, I don't like the media. I don't like being known when I walk into rooms, which either means, John, you're in the wrong line of work, or I think this is the or, or it means you found the calling and you recognize in your line of work, it's not about necessarily what you want it's about how you can use the gifts that you have for a cause bigger than yourself. And so I, I, I serve, man, I, and I don't do it for me. And I, I'm compensated for it financially. I'm compensated with pats on the back and hugs and all this other limelight. But I only do it in order to make the world a better place. I love it. So when you go to these events, you go to the book signings, you are on these uncomfortable podcasts. Does it make you exhausted at the end of it? If you go to a big event, are you exhausted or are you energized at the end of it? Yeah. So the answer is yes. And, and yeah. most of the either ors you asked me today will be yes. So I am, uh, I'm so fired up. You know, you and I met 13 years ago at a live event in St. Louis. Loved it. I remember you and I were talking about it before we hit record. Like I remember it well, remember the other speakers, remember the audience, remember the dimly lit room as we talked about. And I remember being fired up man, and then walking out eventually wiped. So when I am, when I'm on, I'm all in. But I also recognize the need to take care of myself. And so when I get back into my car, or back into the hotel room or back with my family, uh, that's the time where I unplug from kind of the spotlight. And I'm just, it's, where, it's what recharges my battery. So the answer is yes, I'm fired up when I'm live, but I also need a little bit of time for myself afterwards. Yeah, the one thing I did appreciate, I mean, obviously I, I loved it and I talked about this before too, but the impact that you had just on the hour conversation that you had with that audience in the, in the dim, dimly lit room, you are fired up, but you are a hundred percent you and, and you can tell that. And there's, there's no going back and you, you know, take me as I am. And I think life, uh, the world needs to be more like John O'Leary in those moments. Well, that's humbling, man. I think the world ought to be more like themselves. We ought to be fully, purely who we are, who we were made to be with no airs. 
like no false pretenses. And, and one of the greatest compliments I get when I speak, and I think we did this 13 years ago, if not, we've done it since, we always encourage people to, to stay in touch. I put my number out there, have people text in their email address, and it's how we stay in touch. And my favorite response is not when the CEO of whatever, you know, fill in the large blank organization had send, the AV guys, those ladies and gentlemen who were black, who were there long before anybody else showed up and who were there long after everybody else leaves, we always get those guys to play along too. And for them to realize this message is for them and the John they met behind the stage, because frequently speakers are different, man. The way you talk when they're tucking in your cord and when they're putting the microphone on you to those guys, because they're only AV guys. I respect them and I love them and I'm grateful for them. And so the, the John they received behind the house lights is the same that they heard when he was speaking. And it's why ultimately they engaged with me afterwards. And a lot of the guys that I'm able to stay in touch with as friends long-term are these folks. So I, I, the reason I don't really get tired out working is because I never have to be anything I'm not. I'm broken. I'm imperfect. I stumble across sentence structure all the time. I'm nasally like I am right now. And I'm good with it, man. I know who I am. I know whose I am. I'm real. And I think that's ultimately what sets us, our marketing, our messaging apart from other wannabes. Because they're trying to be who they wish they were. And I'm, I'm not. I'm imperfect, but I love it. Yeah. The imperfect, lovable John O'Leary. That should be the, the trademark right there. So talk about being real in, in what you shared 13 years ago. I guess it was what, almost just over 35 years ago, what, what uh, kind of the journey that you've been on. Maybe ex explain to my listeners, for those who don't know you, a little bit about your story. Right. Well, almost surprisingly, the story begins not 35 years ago, but like 15-ish years ago. I was in my late 20s, working construction, ran my own business, doing my thing, but was somewhat unfulfilled. And, uh, you know, financially, I was compensated for it. So it wasn't that. And, and I was in a relationship at that point with my wife. We still are. We've added some kids to the mix. But just something seemed out of whack, out of place. And two things happened in, in and perfect congruence that changed my life. The first, first was on a Sunday morning church service. Someone was the pastor talking about using your talents. And I just being super real. I mean, hey, here we go, guys, being real with you. I'd always felt like I received one talent. Uh, I was burned as a kid. I know we'll talk about that in a moment. I lost my fingers, which set me apart and set me below the majority of everybody else. I struggled in school. I struggled with focus, ADHD, undiagnosed, but man, I have it in spades. So I, I never really had the talents that so many of my other colleagues and friends and even family members had. And then in, in church on this Sunday, the guy, the pastor was talking about, it does not matter if you've received five or three or one talent, gifts, use them, use them well, multiply. And, and for a long time, I recognized my one talent for what it was, but I also recognized I had buried it. And so I'm hearing this, this guy really trying to convict me on does not matter, use what you have, to multiply, to make a difference for those around you in your community. And then on Tuesday that week, I'm working in front of a pickup truck downtown for the folks in St. Louis. I'm in Soulard, man. So I'm in Soulard in front of a pickup truck with a thing of blueprints in front of me and my phone rings. So I flip it open and there's a little girl on the other side and she says, Mr. O'Leary? So I say back to her, oh, let me get you my dad's number. And her response was, no, 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 I just called your daddy. He gave me yours. M Mr. O'Leary, would you, would you share your story with my school? 
And Nick, I'd never told anybody my story. The one you asked me about a moment ago, I never had an interest in telling anybody my story. Why would you talk about being burned? Yeah. Why would you talk about amputations? Why would you talk about scars and brokenness and lessliness and worthiness? Like just all these things that set you below everybody else. So I never told a soul how I was burned. And then that day on the heels of that sermon with this little girl on the flip phone, I said a couple words, well, one word that began to change my life. And I think it would change your listeners. Yes. You know, it's, not, it's like, dude, we get it. Yes. No, no, no. I'm, I'm serious. In saying yes to the limitless promise of your life and opportunities and serving the one in front of you, everything begins to change for better. So I said yes to this little girl, practiced this talk for 40 hours, stood in front of a group of these little monsters, all three Girl Scouts in the room, man, stood behind the podium, an introverted, broken, lousy, motivational speaker looking down at his notes. But my first talk was not in front of the group where you met me a couple of years later or in front of Southwest Airlines or Microsoft or some big organization. The first talk when I pressed one to serve was in front of three third grade Girl Scouts. Mm -hmm. And one of those little Girl Scouts had a dad who was a Rotarian. And he said, John, that was epic, man. Would you share that in front of my, my Rotary Club? And we're, we're not too deep. But there is no compensation. There is no limelight. There are no podcasters saying, dude, you got, you got to share the story of the Girl Scouts on the Rotary. No, no one cares. No one really cared about the work I was doing. But I was doing it because I was motivated to touch the one in front of me well, to really uplift their life through some lessons I had learned in mine. And so it, it led from there into three. And then the following year, 12, the following year, 36, the following year, financially, it started to pivot a little bit. So we started to turn this thing into a business, but it was, it was always mission led. It was always, how do we serve and elevate the one in front of us? How do we change the world one life at a time, starting with our own? And over the last 15 years of doing this, we've been in front of a couple million people and a couple million more virtually and have had some really cool honors. So now the question is, well, what the heck are you talking about with these organizations and those three girls Scouts and every other club? What are you saying yes to now? I'm saying yes to this tragic story that befell me as a kid. When I, when I was nine, this goes back to your original question. I witnessed boys in my neighborhood playing with fire and gasoline and just assumed if these kids can get away with it, man, press one, me too. So that weekend, I walked into my parents' garage, bent over a can of ga gas, held a piece of cardboard on fire, tried to pour the gasoline toward the flame and before the liquid even came out, the fumes. Because in life, it's not the liquid that burns you. It's not the headlines that burn us. It's the vapor. I think it's one of the reasons why pausing in life to listen to worthy podcasts, Nick, like yours, to read, to pray, to connect, to network, why it's so important. Because otherwise we do life in an echo chamber. So uh, it's not the liquid that's gonna burn you. It's not the headlines, it's the fumes. That day, those fumes came out, created a huge explosion, pushed me 20 feet against the far side of the garage, set my world on fire, and changed me permanently. One moment, I'm a happy little fella. And then the next, I found myself with burns on 100% of my body, 87% third degree, dying. So when you ask the question, what's the story from 35 years ago? That's it. But you would have never heard it. I had a whole lot of things not happened, including a little boy saying yes at age 28 to a Girl Scout saying, man, I guess I'll, I'll share to three. So 
how did that make you feel when you're on the phone with this Girl Scout and she asks you that question? So in real time, free. Like when you know when you're doing the right thing. And even when you know that's going to suck, you still know when you're doing the right thing. When your buddy's like, man, I got to move out this weekend. And you're like, can I help? You know, you don't want to do it, but you also know it's the right thing. You, you know, when you are pulled forward to make a difference for another human being. So um, I knew it was the right thing. When it became complicated is when I got home that night, I told Beth, my wife, and she said to me, what are you going to talk about? <laughs> and then for the first time, I'm like, Damn, I don't have a clue. I don't, am I supposed to talk about the construction business, college, being bullied, uh, getting back on the saddle, losing my fingers to an amputation, meeting Jack Buck, the nurses, the staff, my mother and father, the day I was burned. What are you supposed to talk about in a 10 minute talk? I don't have a clue. So that's when it really got complicated and challenging. I spent, I'm not exaggerating, 40 hours building out a 10 minute talk to three third grade Girl Scouts. And I guess if you're like, oh, that's crazy, okay. For those of you who press one today for Nick, what does this mean for you? A guy who has been blessed to write a couple number one bestsellers and has traveled the world, his first time pressing one to serve the one in front of him was three Girl Scouts, no income, but he took it seriously. Like, I, this, this is a job, man. I'm going to serve these three girls. Yeah, I got work too. Got a construction business, have employees, trying to build this community back up in Soulard. But this is not a side project. This is work and these are lives that matter. And, and the more we can focus on the life in front of us, sometimes three Girl Scouts, sometimes our coworkers, sometimes someone for customer service, sometimes a spouse or a partner, sometimes the reflection in the mirror, as if the thing actually matters. And if you actually say yes to that thing that actually matters, dude, it starts to happen. So um, it's very easy and commonplace to look ahead and say, man, I want a big business. I want to travel the world. I want big books. I want bright lights. But we forget that all that stuff, if it even comes to pass, begins with saying yes to the one in front of you today. In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. The thing I love about that is that you could have easily said no. You could have easily said, listen, little girl, I appreciate the opportunity, but I'm way too busy. I don't have time. I have a full-time job. I have employees. And it's just not going to fit into my schedule. But you worried about the one in front of you and you, you took it serious. 40 hours for three girls? <laughs> like that is absolutely bonkers. Um, and, and I love that. And I think, you know, just bringing it back to customer service, you kind of touched on a little bit, is how do you focus on the one in front of you? How do you constantly be in the moment to focus on the one in front of you and invest the time that you need to be successful? And... I love that lesson. And I think you could 
we could just stop now and, and there'd be uh, plenty to talk about uh, for the for the rest of the time. But I don't want to stop because I'm, I'm, I'm super into it and I, I, I love the conversation. And I know there's more to this, this story. Can I just give a, like people a handle on that? Because you asked the question and, and then I know we'll pivot away from this a little bit. But the question is, how do you do this? Like, it's a really important question. In my office, you and I are looking at each other, but a lot of the folks afterwards will just be listening to us. So you, you see behind me, this wall of pictures. That's my family. Uh, I love them. The reason I do the work I do is for that those pictures, for those legacies, grandparents, parents, her parents, her grandparents, our siblings, my babies, all four of them. So that's my why wall. In front of this camera, this is my podcast wall, Nick. So I have all these guests that I've had the honor of interviewing, astronauts like Jim Lavelle, who went up in Apollo 13. He's the one that says, Houston, we have a problem. It's a crazy, powerful story about a kid who grew up in the Great Depression without a dad, about a kid who got kicked out of the military because he wasn't passing the mustard, about a guy who eventually got into the Air Force and could not land on an aircraft carrier, about a guy who got kicked out of the Gemini program. All he wanted to do was get into space, got kicked out of that too. Eventually gets his chance. Houston, we've got a problem. Nothing goes right in his life. And yet this guy kept overcoming. So it's a beautiful story that the movie only tells a whisper of. Brene Brown, guys who are drilling wells in Africa, great authors. John Smith, a guy who spent a minute 17 without breathing. It's a miracle story. Had the honor of interviewing that guy among many, many others up on this wall. Sports, celebrities, coaches, great wall. They remind me what I can do. Like just say yes. But over here, man, I I promise you hang with me, I'm going somewhere. Over here, this is the wall of Hall of Famers. This is the wall of like Mother Teresa. She's up there. And Abraham Lincoln is up there. And a guy named Oscar Romero who lived in El Salvador and served the poor. He's up there. And there's a picture down here with a guy holding his daughter. Because I'm always holding my kids, man. That's Sometimes we forget those tight titans in life were leaders at home too. And I never ever want to forget that. So I have a picture of Martin Luther King Jr. holding his daughter. And all of this, the, back, the reason I'm bringing all this up is Martin Luther King Jr. said this. It is hard for me to like the man who is kicking me in the head when I am on the ground. Customer service leaders take note. And then he says, and then I realized I don't have to like him. I just have to love him. So distilling this from MLK language into mine, into what I hope becomes yours. When I think about difficult customers or clients or spouses, everybody has a bad day or children or coworkers or podcast hosts who are bringing me on Nick or whoever it might be in the marketplace. When I struggle with the one in front of me, how do I level set and serve them well? This is the line I use. I say to myself, I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can do about it. And for me, that just chases away the gremlins that remind me I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. They voted the wrong way. They're the wrong color. They're too rich. They're too poor. They're too high of status. They're too low of status. Whatever the ball line we may feed ourselves might be. All the things that divide. Mm-mm. That fades when it goes back to love. I love you. And there's nothing you can do about it. So th- this is honestly, if you're asking for one takeaway from O'Leary, you can leave now. Because for me, like, that's it. You want to build a big business. You want to have an awesome marriage. You want to be a phenomenal impactor in the community. I love you. Nothing you can do about it. I love that. My mission in life also is to have fun serving others. And I could add on to that by saying love first and then understand. And then be understood. There's, There's so much to that. So let's go back to 
the story real quick because for those that don't know you you're laying in a bed you have a half a percent chance of survival not only did you survive but you you actually lived what what's the difference between surviving and living hmm. well I, so going through a couple of details there the day I was brought into the hospital, they told my mom and dad that I had less than 1% chance of surviving the first night. And then they added, and those odds will never go up in time. So it was their way of whispering to them, prepare yourself for what is inevitable. This child who you loved and brought into the world, I, I hate to tell you this, and I won't say it directly, but here it is. He's not surviving this fire. 100% burn, 87% third degree, prepare yourself. So that's what they received. And I received from them, not that, but the, this gift of grace and courage and togetherness. And they were by my side and they kept casting a vision of where we collectively faithfully could go together. There's a lot that went into that, but it also required five and a half months in hospital and years of surgery and therapy. And now as I get ready to answer your question, as I survive, I found myself getting ready to go back to school and uh, man, I've been gone for a year and a half and I'm, I'm in a wheelchair. I don't have fingers, bright red skin, open sores, wrapped in gauze. Like this is a train wreck of a little kid coming back to school. And I know I'm going to be made fun of. So I keep asking my dad, why? Not why are they going to make fun of me? I knew that. Why me? Like, why did this thing happen? Why is God so mean? Why are kids so mean? Why me? It's a common question in particular in 2022. Why me? Why me? And my dad eventually, after hearing me say that that evening, and really for the last 18 months, stood up, walked over to the bedroom door, shut the door, walked back over to me. Now I know I'm in trouble. He puts his hands on my legs. He looks me in the eyes and he says this to me, John, damn it. Why not you? Why not you? This terrible thing has happened. I get it. And if you want to be a victim to these circumstances for the rest of your days and merely survive, have at it. No one will judge you lesser for it. And then he said, or if you want to step into this day and each day following as a victor, if you choose when we roll you in tomorrow, as if you are soaring into that room, everybody else, all of your classmates will look up to you, not down at you. They will look up to you. And then he gave me the simple Either or. He said, John, victim, Victor, your choice. Then he leaned forward and he kissed me. And so you asked the question, John, what's the difference between surviving or thriving? I think frequently in life, we find ourselves merely surviving. Victims to COVID, victims to circumstances far beyond our control, victims to what has taken place in Belarus, and Russia and Ukraine, victims to what's taking place politically or racially or indifference or whatever else is happening in your life, victim to your spouse's interaction with you this morning or the fact that you don't have one in the first place, addictions, dreams that aren't going the way you want, a customer service who's treating you poorly, victims. We survive the moment. But we are called, if you choose, and you don't have to, but if you choose to thrive, to step into that call, into that interaction, into this world that is longing for evidence of goodness and joy and faithfulness and hope as a reminder of what it looks like in spite of the differences or maybe because of the differences and challenges to step forward with joy and encouragement and optimism. And, and finally, I know all of many of us are gathered in this call to grow business. 
So if some of you are like, dude, who the heck cares? Okay, fine. This directly affects bottom line. You want to set yourself apart in a marketplace of lookalikes. You step into every call and every team meeting and every interaction at work and beyond with joy, and it will make you look different. And people will come knocking and you will grow a business and you will attract, attract new employees and new customers to serve. So there is an ROI on this, but I don't do it for the ROI and I don't encourage you to either. Do it because you want to live. You're sick of surviving. What is the risk of thriving versus surviving from an individual or a leader jumping out and stepping out into the uncomfortable or the unknown or the gray? So I think this goes back to the idea of a vulnerability. So the reason why we don't thrive is we don't want to get burned. I don't want to tell her that I love her. I don't want to risk forgiveness first. I mean, she's the one that said those words to me. I don't want to risk becoming a big brother. What if he doesn't like me? What, what if he judges my skin color? What if we're from a different area and we don't connect? What if I take that risk in business and, and it doesn't work out? And so rather than risking, we accept and endure the monotony or the misery of the day. And so the risk is that we will fail. But I would suggest to you the far greater risk is that we climb the ladder of life and we get to the very tippity top near the end of it. And we recognize we have had the thing leaned against the wrong wall the entire time. And so my invitation to you, all of us, myself included, by the way, when I'm talking, the adamant voice that you hear is me speaking first and foremost to the guy who needs to hear it, which is me. So I'm talking to me, man. I'm not lecturing. I'm, I'm, I'm doing a little self-help work over here. I need to hear these words. I want to make sure those, as I live each day, that the foundation is firm. It's rest upon things that matter. The ladder is leaned up high, but it is resting against a wall of impact and a wall of significance and a wall of love and a wall of faithfulness and a wall that allows me to use my talents for something bigger than myself. So the reason we don't choose to truly live is because we think we might fail if we do so. But far greater failure in life is to achieve things that don't matter. So in those moments when we are imperfect, which we all are, how do we celebrate those scars? How do we celebrate the ones, the, the difficult times, the circumstances that we don't want to be in? Mm. So I, I think it's twofold. Number one, I have a picture up here, a guy, a guy named John Henry now, and he's an author. And one of, the, one of my favorite quotes from him is that what is most personal and sacred is most universal. So the very scarredness, the addiction, you don't want anybody to find out what you do, whether that's online or with alcohol or with drugs or sexual abuse or what you've been through or the past or brokenness, amputations, the very thing that you think will cheapen your life in the perspective of someone else's, according to John Henry Nowen, is the very thing that is actually most universal. So one thing to recognize is our scars are actually what can ultimately connect us to others physically and emotionally. So just re recognize that. And then the second is this, in real time, when you are the one having bombs dropped on you, whether literally or figuratively, it is very hard to find meaning in real time in that struggle. So what I always try to do is to look backward first. Kierkegaard wrote, life is, life is intended to be lived forward, but it can only be understood backward. So if you look backward at your life and you identify difficult times in your life, in your childhood, in education, when you failed out of that first job, when you tried the first business and that did not work, when you asked him out and he said, no, whatever the thing is, you also realize some of the things that came out of those losses. 
how there was indeed evidence, not only if you flopped face first on your belly, but you grew in resiliency. You grew in grit. You recognized the floor was not that far down. You elevated your faithfulness. You recognized, stop taking yourself so seriously. All these things, man, you met a new friend. You've picked up a new hobby. Awesome. So if you look back at your life, you realize through the difficulties of yesterday, you become a far better version of yourself today. Well, if that's true in your past, and I would say to all of us, it is. And if you don't believe me, take inventory. It is also true in the challenges we face today. So I don't ask for the struggles to come. I don't ask for flights to be delayed. I don't ask for economic shifts like what we experienced two years ago or family members to pass away of COVID like I experienced two years ago and everything else that is affecting us geopolitically. But they do arise in your life and we can kick the dirt and we can be mad and we can cross our arms and say, why me? And it's common. Or we can look for an opportunity ourselves to make a difference. So um, the storms come but we've weathered them in the past and we can weather them well going forward into the future. Is that the difference between the saying that um, I believe you talked about uh, the difference between I have to and I get to in life? <laughs> so that's a, that's a cool saying because, you know, I think that story comes from John O'Leary marrying Beth O'Leary and the words spoken on the altar, November of 20, 2003, I do. I do. And, and by the time the honeymoon is over, the words begin to shift in my relationship. And I would imagine in many others too, I have to, you know, you press one for Nick because I do. And then eventually it feels like, oh, I have to, you start the business because you want to, and then it begins. I have to, you pick, you stop drinking because you do. And then it becomes, I had all these things. So for me, part of it is this idea of surviving versus thriving. But the also, the other piece is this, the reckoning, that if we are not intentional in life, all of life becomes I have to. And I wrote recently about a guy who I met just a couple of years ago named Pat Hinman. Pat Hinman was a phenomenal business executive that I met. He was leading forward a business. He was going through stage four cancer. He was still getting treated for it. He was extraordinarily wealthy and he was 98 years old. It's a true story. He was going through the chemo therapy though. He told me later on, not for himself. He was he had, a, he had a good life. He had enough. But he wanted to guide his wife to the finish line. He said to me, John, I made a commitment to Bonnie 77 years ago that I will be there. I do. I do. John, I still do. So that's why I'm going through the chemo. I don't like losing my hair. I don't like the way it makes me feel. I'm 98. But I still do. And so the beautiful part about this story is uh, I heard two and a half months after he and I met in San Diego, that Pat Henman went home. He passed away. And it was a week and a half after he buried his wife. He kept the commitment. I do. And he did it in a relationship. He did it in his health. He did it professionally. He did it financially. He did it in every aspect of his life. This was a man who did not survive. That bores me, man. I think an animal tries to survive. We are called to thrive. Take the talent you've received and multiply. Be like Pat Henman. I love that. That's such a great story about, about surviving and thriving. Tell me about the relationship that you had, speaking of relationships, with the one and only Jack Buck <laughs> and how he helped you on that journey. Well, I mean, we'll need to press two for this one because we, we will run out of time on this podcast in this 13-part series with John O'Leary. <laughs> but it, as we succinctly shared in part one, 
Jack Buck is the radio announcer for the St. Louis Cardinals. He's the father of Joe Buck. For those who don't know anything that we're talking about right now, but Joe Buck is a big time broadcaster, a hall of famer himself, a great guy, a good friend. But I loved his dad because his dad was the Cardinal announcer in the eighties when I was a kid. And I got burned on a Saturday morning, January 17th. And on the following day, Jack Buck walks into my room. He sits down next to me. This is a guy I've never met physically. I've only heard his voice. And I'm laying in a hospital bed, tied down, burned up, in darkness, eyes full and shut, cannot speak. But I recognized the voice when I heard it. And it said to me, kid, wake up. You are going to live. You are going to survive. Keep fighting. John O'Leary Day at the ballpark will make it all worthwhile. Kid, wake up and keep fighting. And then he stood, he walked out, and he left a child transformed. And if it had ended there, that one visit would have, I think, changed my life. But the cool thing is, after he was told by the doctors and nurses that there is utterly no chance that this little boy is going to survive, Mr. Buck did something pretty radical. Uh, he came back the following day and he visited a stranger, a little boy in a burn center bed dying, a stranger. So don't think that, well, true, a stranger, but eventually he'll become a speaker and he'll tell the story and he'll, he'll be in books and on the Nick Pot. No, no, no. This is a dying child, a nobody, who Jack comes back into a second time and says the words, kid, wake up. You are going to live. Keep fighting. John O'Leary Day at the ballpark will make it all worthwhile. Keep fighting. This goes on, Nick, day after day, five months. And on August 26, 1987, against the Pittsburgh Pirates, we had John O'Leary Day at the ballpark. So this was a man who <laughs> visited me in hospital. People can learn the story online, but a man who served me well, not only during that time and into August, but for the rest of his life. I just love the story and I, I highly recommend everybody goes to the John O'Leary website and, and listen to the rest of the story or read the rest of the story because the relationship that was developed in the 60 baseballs later and how he taught you how to write is, is incredible. And he served well. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a great inspiring so, uh, story. So I really appreciate that. The question he uh, asked just to, put a bow on it. I always worry candidly that people will leave a podcast inspired by someone else's life. And that is not at all what Nick and I are trying to do. Although I hope you are inspired by the life of Jack Buck and others who served in the story. What I always try to do is give a handle on how to live this. And I try to steal shamelessly from those who do it well, like Martin Luther King Jr., for instance, or in this case, Jack Buck. Jack asked a question nightly and the question was, what more can I do? And whether you are growing a business or whether you are growing a family, or whether you're trying to impact a child who is dying in a hospital bed. <clears throat> that question will elevate your life and those of the lives you serve. So the question he asked nightly, it led him into my room in the first place. He learned about me at a charity auction. A little boy is dying in St. Louis, keep him in your thoughts. Okay, what do you do when you hear that listeners? All right, I'll do it, man. Well, he didn't just do it. He actually went home and journaled, what more can I do? And the following day he shows up in a boy's life and does not let go. And then he's told that the kid's going to die. What more can I do? I guess I can visit him again. And then again, and then again. 
And then as he asked this question, he learned a little boy could not write. Life is over. So we sent him a baseball and then another and then 16 just kept guiding this little kid forward. But the question that gathered Jack Buck to become the best version of himself professionally, he became a Hall of Famer. Seven different Hall of Fames Jack Buck was inducted into. But more than that, a Hall of Famer of life. And so um, if you're looking for a takeaway from this visit from Jack to John, what more can I do is a really wonderful way to do far better work today than you did yesterday. I love that. And I think you answered the second question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Um, I have two questions for every single guest at the very end. And uh, we could do a 13-part series uh, about this. Uh, maybe another one at another time. listeners quickly. So I, I recommend <laughs> one and say, people, next week it will be better. Come back, please. <laughs> so the first question I have for you is, what book or person in customer service or customer experience has influenced you the most in the past year? And then the second one that I have for you is if you could leave a note to every single customer service professional, and it's going to hit everybody's desk Monday at 8 a.m., what would it say? So I think the, the note would be, you matter. And it sounds like, oh, dude, that's kind of trite, man. But is it? Last year in the United States, 1.4 and a half million citizens in the wealthiest nation by far in the history of the world, it's not even close. So it's like as lousy as everything is. In context, there's never been a richer, freer place to live in the history of the world than where you and I live. Last year, 1.4 million Americans attempted suicide. It's a pandemic and it's not based on COVID. It's based on not recognizing truly the, the, the magical mystery and dignity and value of your life. I would remind your customer service leaders that they are a gift. Like a, a, there's a book written by a woman named Mel Robbins. She, Mel Robbins has been a guest on our podcast, five, four, three, two, one, right? This little countdown idea. Mel had done the research around what the likelihood of you being born, not burned, born is. And so her research through a whole lot of data is this, the likelihood of mom and dad coming together with Neil Diamond playing in the background, Sweet Caroline, and a bottle of wine being shared between the two and, you know, chocolate covered strawberries down there. The likelihood of them getting together right on time, that's going to lead to Nick's life and a John O'Leary's life. And as you make it personal, your life, listener, the likelihood of you being born in the first place is less than one in 400, no, Things got a couple commas, trillion. So if you only look at the biology of your father and the biology of your mother and the fact that they got together right on time, we'll have the, the you know, the 14th episode with O'Leary will be the after hours of how to, how to create new human life, man, but we'll get there some other time. <laughs> the simple unlikelihood of you being born with the DNA you have is one in 400 trillion. And then we go into the day mad that she hung up on us, mad that her iPhone is already down to 82%, man, it's just the day just started. Well, rather than looking down at all that you do not have, recognize the profound blessing that is simply your life. So the note that I would remind them is, you matter. And you truly, truly matter. And so I read, this is going to blow people away, I think, but I read a little bit more than 52 books a year because I'm always like, I'm interviewing podcast guests and I want to know their story before they share it because I want to kind of pull through things they may not share. I want to ask questions about like what else is going on? What led to that? So I read a lot. 
And the one I did recently was with a guy named Bill McKinley, I believe. And the book was called Do More Good. And it's, it's not a life-changing book unless you apply the principles within it. And the part of the book that moved me most deeply was when this guy, he's in customer service, if you will, but when this guy is meeting with a woman <clears throat> named Mother Teresa, and Mother Teresa walks into the room and she's near the end of her life. She's bent over. She was born in Albania. I think she's like four foot eight. She weighs 36 pounds wet. I mean, she, this woman is fading away and dying. And so he's not sure where to like even look. He's in the presence of a, a walking saint. So he puts his head down. And what he notices when she walks into the room is first how little she is. She's like frail, man. And then what she, he notices is, hang with me while I say this, how ugly her feet are. She's wearing sandals. It's wintertime in DC. And this woman is wearing sandals. And so he's just startled almost by how ugly and warped these feet are. And then in the next breath, he realizes, why is that? Why are they so ugly? Why is one toe bent over the other? Why are they, most of them missing their toenails? Why are they scarred and broken and bandaged in some areas? And then he realizes as he's wearing his Cole Hans, as he's got the camera crew behind him, that this is a woman who for decades has made her life about something bigger than her, her life. And then he even realizes the only reason she's even in DC away from Calcutta is not for the fine hotels and the beautiful American food. The only reason she is there is to bring forward the need that they have still. First using media, but then speaking to a large audience of politicians saying, hey, I know there's needs in the States. I get it, serve your own people. Uh, your Calcutta is in your own backyard, I get it. But do not forget us. There's a need where I am too. And if you are so willing, we will take whatever you can send our way because we wanna make a difference too. The reason she got on that jumbo, tread, that jumbo jet and flew around the world with broken feet was to raise awareness. And I, I read that in that little book and it reminded me what it looks like to be strong in customer service, what it looks like to be strong as a husband or as a son or as a dad or in all the other roles I do, man. I wanna do more good. And by the end of my life, whether that is next week, could be, or in five decades, I want some poor undertaker to look at my feet and say, dang, dude, this was some ugly dude with ugly freaking feet. My God, I don't think I've ever seen uglier feet than O'Leary's because I want to do more good. So uh, that's what I'm always looking for one key takeaway from a podcast, from an article, from a book. And for me, man, I, Mother Teresa, I, I want to have ugly feet too. It's a great, great story. And I appreciate you sharing that. Um, John, what's the best way for my listeners if they want to learn more about you. They want to learn more about your speaking opportunities, uh, gigs. They want to learn more about your books. Where do they go and find that? Uh, so, you know, you could always Google John O'Leary, or if you want, visit me online at John O'Leary inspires.com. So John O'Leary inspires.com. And when you venture over to that website, a couple of cool things there. Number one, there's a free newsletter you can sign up for. I love that because it's a way for us to bring encouragement back into your life and also to extend the olive branch that if you ever need anything, I'm in. So um, I'm in. Press one for John. If you ever need anything, hit reply. And we try to say yes to all the requests that come in. So uh, that's cool. Second little link you can learn about is social media feeds. That will be there as well. The third is we've got a cool podcast, like Nick said on the front, called Live Inspired. Live Inspired with John O'Leary. So anywhere you draw down your podcast, check it out. Live Inspired with John O'Leary. 
And the fourth is if you just want to kind of like unpack these stories, we try to put a ton of content out there. So videos, Nick and I told you three minutes of the Jack Buck story, but MLB did a video of this and it went viral, downloaded millions and millions of times about an announcer named Jack who reached down to a little boy named John and in doing so changed an awful lot of lives. So if you just want to watch that video, it's, it's awesome. It's really a beautiful story. Go to johnolearyinspires.com. I love it. I'm inspired and I hope that you continue to do more good. And I appreciate your time. And I'm sure that my listeners had a ton of, that they're probably cramping right now with all the notes that they, they've taken. And uh, I just appreciate you and appreciate your time. I appreciated you 13 years ago and I appreciate you today. So thanks so much. Honored, man. I'm going to keep pressing one, Nick. Awesome. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.